I continue to be fascinated uh, by the ways in which God's word is not only alive, but the way God constructs it in his, in his word and, and the way he designed scripture for us. And here we are as God's people that have access to this to this beautiful word that he's put together. The, the way that he's designed it is, is, is in such a way that it can be, there's a little bit here, there's a little bit here, and, and he intends for it to be mined, to, to dig down in and mine it and gather it and, and pull it in. We read a passage, you know, maybe it's a peculiar passage, one that it strikes us as, that, that's interesting that he would say it that way. And then we think about that, we, we, we reflect on it, and, and we look at the surrounding verses and reflect on that a bit. And, and then it, it triggers a thought, a, a connection to something else that we've read or, or an experience that we've had. And we, we begin to think about that, and that connects us to other passages. And then there's another, another personalized reflection. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, the application jumps out us, at, at us in, in our lives. Uh, I don't know how often you find that happening in, in, in your study, I know for me as a speaker, and I, and I think I can speak for all of those who get up to the pulpit and, and give messages, be it sermonettes or, or sermons, they've, they've seen that. It's amazing at how as we, as we start to, to dig in deeply uh, to, to God's Word and think deeply about it, how it triggers all of these, these thoughts and connections. And, and often it's amazing how a, in preparation for a message you're, you're going one way, but as you read more deeply about something, and see this or think about this, it takes a completely different turn and, and, and just comes alive. Do you folks experience that sometimes? I, I mean, I, I think that is, that is uh, one of the things that I find uh, so enjoyable and, and so rewarding in, in Bible study. Well, I'd like to talk today about one of those peculiar passages, uh, peculiar phrases upon which I've reflected in the last uh, several weeks. It, at least it struck me as, as peculiar, and I'd like to talk with you about the journey uh, that it took me on. And I, I, hope, I hope you'll find it helpful for you. I, I found it helpful for me. I found it to have uh, deep uh, application in my life, and, and hopefully you'll find the same as well. I'd, I'd like to begin today by turning to a passage in, in Psalm 27. I believe where it, it, the thought triggered, uh, at least for me, some reflection on this. I, I believe it came uh, from Mr. Horchak's sermon at Winter Family Weekend, which Dallas would have heard uh, if you were there or if you were, were here or if you were watching online. But he talked about in, in looking at trials and challenges and, and, and having confidence and courage and going forward. He, he read a, a verse. I, I don't think he spent as much time on this particular verse as he did in, in other areas that were more directed towards having courage in, in challenging times. But I believe this is where I, I, I read this. And, and then it got me thinking, and I, it, it got me thinking again about uh, Mr. Hungerlutz's uh, sermon, uh, his memorial service, and a, and a passage that I remember reading in preparation for that. And then it got me thinking a little bit more about uh, Dr. Levy's recent uh, sermon message on, on prayer and all of the intricacies of, of what we're striving to develop in our prayer life. But it, it, it's the way it works for me. I'll hear things and, and read things and, and just begin to think and mull over, and certain it takes me certain directions and, and coalesces with, with what I find are, are very helpful uh, aspects to, to helping me walk the walk that I know I need to walk. It's in uh, Psalm 27, verse 5. We'll lead up to it, but let's, let's read this, what I think is, is somewhat of a peculiar phrase. Psalm 27, verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. This is, of course, David writing this. In the secret place of his tabernacle. It's interesting as 
We heard the sermonette uh, today about the tabernacle of God and, and our dwelling in that tabernacle. But he'll, he'll hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I'm going to offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Yes, I'll sing. I'll sing praises to the eternal. Verse 7, hear, O eternal, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. And here's that peculiar phrase. At least I found it peculiar. He says, when you said, seek my face. What is it to seek God's face? When you said, seek my face. Now, the New King James, as we just read, renders it that way. Uh, The NIV, New New International Version, states it this way. My heart says of you, Uh, of you, God, my heart, us, uh, David's, says of you, God, seek seek his face. My heart says of you, seek his face. The Tanakh renders it this way. In your behalf, my heart says, seek my face. And then it says, O Lord, I seek your face. What is it to to seek God's face? Look at, uh, let's let's read the rest of it here. Psalm uh, 27 Verse 8, we'll read it again. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Are you seeking God's face? And that, that's an interesting thing to ask of you. Uh, young people, are you seeking God's face? What does he mean by that? And, and how are we to do that? It says here, uh, my heart said to, to seek your face. And again, depending on the, 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 trans, the translation and how it's rendered, it, it appears even that, at least with the New King James Version, the way it renders the, the thought uh, is, is that it says, uh, when you said, as in God's saying, seek my face. Uh, again, I, I think that we can, we can debate exactly what's going on. But, but that latter part, my heart said to you, seek your face. Lord, I will seek. I will seek that. A second phrase which we'll address that will uh, work in conjunction with this, this phrase of seeking God's face uh, is, found in, uh, is found in Numbers 12. Let's go there. Numbers 12. This is the story of, of Aaron and Miriam being very upset with Moses because of uh, their thought about what he had done marriage-wise. And God uh, takes them, Aaron and Miriam, to task with this. Numbers 12. Numbers 12. Let's get here. So Miriam and Aaron had, had spoken against Moses about this. And now we come to verse 6. So this is, uh, let's start in verse 5. Then the eternal came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. And then he said, so imagine this. This is, this is God talking to them. This would have been Jesus Christ, as we know, no man has seen God at any time. God the Father, John 1.18, no one has heard his voice. I think it's John 5.63 that talks about that. So this would have been uh, God being, Jesus Christ, interacting here with them, talking directly to them. And he says this. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the eternal, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him. I speak with Moses face to face. That's another interesting uh, statement that's made, another peculiar phrase, uh, in my opinion, uh, of what he says of Moses. He speaks with Moses face to face, continuing, even plainly. And And I don't do it in dark sayings. And he sees and he sees the form of the Lord, form of the eternal. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. He, 
they said they see, he sees the form of the eternal. In some, in some cases, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to uh, the next passage and, and mine this a bit further here. Let's go to Exodus 33. Exodus 33 is the famous cleft in the rock passage. Exodus 33 We see Moses at different times interacting with God. Sometimes came down in the cloud and heard his voice. You know, we've got the, the, the bush, uh, which he was talking to Moses out of the bush. Uh, and then in some cases, it appears that he made himself known uh, in, 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 a for, in, in form, in, in visible form, as, as we know that God did with, with various individuals in the Old Testament, one in particular, uh, Abraham. But, uh, but let's go through here in, in Exodus 33 and look a little bit more at this, this, this these terms, uh, seeking his face and also, uh, in particular here, face to face. Exodus 33, verse 7. Exodus 33, verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far, uh, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And, and it came to pass that... Everyone who sought the eternal went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the eternal talked with Moses." So they could see the presence of that cloud coming down, and then the Eternal had a, a, a conversation. He talked with Moses in, in, this, in this tent. All the people saw the, saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, and it says here, verse 11, So the Eternal spoke to Moses face to face. He spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Look at chapter 34. Chapter 34. Actually, we'll read a little bit more in chapter 33. Let's stay in 33 and go now to verse 16. So he has, he, he, is, is, he talks with Moses on a, on a regular basis, face to face. But then we, we come to this, this passage talking about God's presence in the cleft of the rock. And remember, in that situation, he says, you shall not see my face. Uh, so what, what, are we, what are we getting at here and what, what is being discussed? Let's go to Exodus 33, verse 16, as we said. So let's start in verse 12. Exodus 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the eternal, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found grace in my sight. So Moses is, is tremendously thankful for, for that. So in verse 13, he says, now therefore, this is what I pray. If I have found grace in your sight, as he's praying to God, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight as you look upon me. And, and consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14. So, so God told him, he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's something to consider as we think about Hebrews and the whole discussion of, of rest there. His presence did go with Moses, and he did give Moses rest. He did not give it to the Israelites because of unbelief, but he gave that uh, to Moses uh, verse 15, and then he said to them, uh, Moses said to him, he said, yeah, if you're, yes, if, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. I, I, we only want to go forward if your presence is here, if you are with us, if you are dwelling with us. For then how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us? So we shall, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Eternal said to Moses, I will do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, 
And I know you, I know you, Moses, by name. So Moses said, show me your glory. Please show me your glory. I want, I want to see your glory, this, this great being that you are. Then he said, God said to him, verse 19, Well, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim the name of the eternal before you. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But, but he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. God, be it Jesus Christ or God the Father, either one, but in this case, Jesus Christ, in his glorified state, in his full of glory of what he is as a spirit being would not have enabled Moses to look upon him in that state and live. The power and the strength and all the greatness that this great being is. So does that conflict at all with the whole discussion of, well, face-to-face versus you can't see my face? We'll discuss that in a second. I think most of us are very aware of what's really going on here. But let's continue. So he said, you cannot see my face, verse 20, for no man shall see me and live. And the Eternal said, here's a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by... Uh, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, so this is what happened. Verse 5 of chapter 34. Now the eternal descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the eternal. And the eternal passed before him and proclaimed... And here's what he proclaimed, the eternal, the eternal God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses, when he experienced God in his glory... (laughs) His back at the cleft of the rock as he, as he removed his hand so Moses could see. He says, uh, Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we're a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. So what, what do we draw from this? Uh, as we read the, these passages that we've covered so far, he, he says, seek my face. Uh, if, if, again, if that's the New King James rendering, if that is, is accurate. But we are, David says, I will seek your face. Moses talked with God. He, he interacted with him. He talked with him as a, as a friend talks to God, obviously in great honor and, and deep Respect as he interacted with him, but he talked with him openly, uh, talked with Moses openly, and Moses talked with God openly. But he also says, I'll not show you my face. You can't see my face and live, but you can see my back. I, I think, you know, again, with the, the face, the face back uh, kind of analogy here or, or the description, not necessarily saying that they can't uh, have, have an interaction, but, but he's, it's talking more about glory. God in his, in his glory, we cannot as human beings enter into that realm of interaction to see that kind of, of being in its brightness and glory. Uh, as scripture tells us, that will change. But, but in, in a glory state, uh, we, we cannot do that. But what, what does he mean when he says then, but, but we talk face to face? I think that's where we get to the, the literal versus what we would consider idiomatically or uh, an idiom here of, of what it is to talk, talk face to face. So, you know, I, I think of, let's, let's think, talk about literally face to face. We know how it is as humans, as, as we talk and we stand face to face, we're, we're looking and we're studying the other individual as we're talking with them. And be thinking about that when you talk with me as I look at your face and I, and I you know, I won't, we'll try not to do that anyway. But, but I, I, I reflect back uh, you know, in the literal sense of how that works with our experience after a winter family weekend. We got a chance to spend some time with our, our oldest daughter and her husband and, and our grandson, Jack. And he's just, he's 
two years and one month old now. And it's, it's just really neat watching the, the progressive steps uh, of a child that you know, learns, learns these words. He has a very high vocabulary, but he has not been speaking in sentences as much. But now he's up to like five five, four, five, six words and in, in, in forming sentences as, as, he, as he talks. And it's just, it's just fascinating because we, we FaceTime uh, usually once or twice every week, so we get to interact with him. It's just neat seeing uh, that develop. Uh, our oldest daughter was a bit concerned uh, for, because Jack wasn't speaking in full sentences uh, at, the, at the age of two. They've got another girl uh, in their congregation that is just off the charts, uh, uh, so in, in terms of everything that she can say in full sentences, so you know, you know how it is for moms. Uh, is my child is delayed a little bit? What's going on here? But anyway, uh, but Jack is also able to just gather so many words. It's, it's fascinating watching how quickly they learn and what they retain uh, word-wise. Uh, Jack uh, loves construction and uh, construction sites. How many uh, folks here are familiar with Blippi? You want to, want to raise your hand proudly? Blippi? Yeah, I saw Hannah just go up like this. Yeah, I know Blippi. I know Blippi. But uh, Blippi is, has, it's a cartoon kind of a thing. No, no, Blippi, well, I get it mixed up because there's, there's a guy that, that has Blippi and, and they go through, they go to these different construction sites and, and we, they, all of the terms, I mean, Jack knows what a driver is. He knows what a, a drill is. He knows what a dump truck is. He knows what a garbage truck is. He knows what a recycle sign. That's one of his favorite words to say is recycle sign, recycle sign. He sees those recycle signs. Uh, all the different tractors and extensions on tractors. Uh, so, you know, Stacy was a little bit concerned when they went to when they went to the, the doctor just to kind of check about, you know, how, how things were, were going. Well, and the doctor said, well, well uh, how, how's he doing on his words? And, and Stacey said, I think he's doing pretty well. Uh, she said, uh, so Jack, what did you, what did you see uh, in, in, the, uh, in the field uh, right outside of the, of the doctor's office today? And he said, an excavator. And the doctor said, I think he's doing okay. I think he's going to be all right. So, but you know how it is. They, uh, they, certain things fascinate them. So, it, so anyway, he, but Jack is so neat to, to talk with him. And, and, as, and, and this, this week, he and I spent a lot of time together, a lot of time playing, a lot of time talking, a lot of time laughing, a lot of times being silly. But we did it in very close proximity to one another. As, it's something about that with with kids and with babies, especially that toddler range, you, the whole bubble, you know, for me normally, I, I need my bubble. I, I know some people invade my bubble and they're very comfortable in that. I can handle it emotionally, but it, it does kind of stress me out when people kind of come up and get up in my bubble when we're trying to talk. Uh, but uh, you'll see sometimes, and we've talked about this before, but you know, have you ever done that with a person? You kind of take a step back and then they move in again. And then you take another step back and then move in again. I've gotten to where I, I sometimes get like a row, get in between a row, and I feel them trying to come up over the row to talk with me. But anyway, you may be that kind of person. If so, I'm sorry. But uh, it, it does bother me a little bit, but I can handle it. But with babies, uh, it's, it's like the bubble is not there. Uh, you, you want to be up there in their face, and they want to be in your face. And, and that childlike that childlike interest in a person's face and, and talking and, and intimately discussing things up close and personal, it's, it's, it's natural and it seems right and there's, there's a connection and we literally are talking face to face. That's a literal view. In, in, interestingly enough, with, with kids, I, I find it interesting. We, we, had, uh, we went out to Mex- got Mexican food one night. Jack loves Mexican food, he, and he particularly loves rice and beans. You just plop the rice and beans, of course, vegetarian, black beans. Uh, but put that on there, and then he's got his, his uh, salsa. that they, they, have, they bring their own little plate that sticks down on the table. And then they've got, in the middle area, they've got to pile it with salsa and got chips. They break up the chips, chips in, in small bites. But then you just see him feast and, and we, we were there at, a, at this Mexican restaurant, and there was a booth. There was a booth where 
Stacy and Kelly and Lisa and I were sitting across from each other. And of course, Jack's out in the aisle in one of those uh, booster high chair things. And he's just fixated on his food and downing it. And then at some point, I see Jack uh, look, look this way. And, and he doesn't turn back. And I'm thinking, Jack, your Mexican food is there. It's starting to get cold. Uh, it, but he's, he's just fixated. And at some point, I thought, well, I've got to look. And I looked, down, I looked down where he was looking, and there was another two-year-old that was sitting in a, a high chair, and she was turning, and she was just staring at him. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just fascinated. They're fascinated to connect and see and, and study and, and feel free and open uh, to do that. So I, I think, you know, in a literal, in a literal situation, that is face-to-face. When, when we, we know someone, when we talk intently with that person, and we're seeing each other in close proximity to one another in such a way that there is an incredible connection. Now, now idiomatically, uh, not, not necessarily literally, what are we talking about there with that? It's, it's more likely that, that, that this is probably what God is, is meaning when he's saying with Moses, I speak face to face. We interact with one another. We, we talk back and forth with one another. We are very closely connected. We talk together uh, as, as friends talk together, not obscured in any way. When, when a person walks by us, and we see the, the shoulder of the person and maybe the, the hair and, and the ear. We're thinking, do I know that person? Do I, do I see that person? And then, then we get that person to turn around and face us. And we look at them and we, we see all the, the facial features. And then the recognition comes. The recognition and the, 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 the direct understanding of who this person is. Before we address the whole subject of of how are we to seek his face and how do we talk with God and how do we talk with God and how does God talk with us face to face, those kinds of questions, let's take a look at another concept that I want to address before going further. And I I think this concept deepens the discussion a bit. I, I found it interesting how many times this was discussed in, in various passages in the Old Testament. We won't go through all of those. We'll go through a couple. But let's go first to 2 Samuel 14. 2 Samuel 14. 2 Samuel 14 deals with the story of Absalom. Now, what am I, what am I doing with that, uh, going to the story of, of Absalom? In in ancient times, in, in biblical times, in times where there, there was royalty, I, I think to some degree that there's, that's still in place today with people of, of very high influence in society. But this, but this thought was especially huge in terms of, of cultural, social principle that was at work in, in biblical times. Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel 14, to be in the king's favor to be in his favor uh, to the degree that he chooses to allow you to be in his presence, to be able to, to sit at his table, to maybe be invited to a social function, to be there when others are present, even maybe to be brought into an inner circle to where the king actually looks at you and talks, talks with you, and you may be very careful about what you say, but you're, but you're there in that present, present in, in that person's presence. That was a huge thing. That was a, a major thing for a person to be in that kind of situation. You know, we think of the, the various individuals uh, from that perspective in the Bible that were in that state. Esther to be brought into that situation and that relationship with the king to where she could, she could talk with him and interact with him and be in his presence, and he would, uh, and, and he would hear her. Haman and Ahasuerus, uh, or Xerxes I, uh, he was, Haman saw himself as, as, as being greatly honored because he was able to come into the presence of the king, Mordecai and the king uh, later, Daniel and his three friends, even even Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer of, of the, uh, the ruler in, in, in Babylon, to, to, to be in that presence, uh, and again, he was, he was a servant, but, but still to be in that was a highly sought after, a highly 
honored thing. Let's look at uh, 2 Samuel uh, to see a little bit about that and how that relates to this uh, face-to-face. 2 Samuel 14, in verse, let's start in verse 20. We'll break into the thought here. Absalom wanted to return back to Jerusalem. Absalom had uh, been, uh, had executed revenge over being deeply hurt by uh, what had happened to his, his sister. Uh, very horrible situation where she had been shamed. She had done nothing wrong. And here, here he was very, very uh, irate about what had happened and, and executed vengeance on that and, and killed, killed another individual, one of the house of David, one of his, one of his sons who had acted wrongly against, against his sister. So here he flees, he, he gets out of there, but he, but he wants to come back. And, and Joab and, and this, and Joab uses a woman to talk to David to, to develop this story. And it ultimately comes down to helping David see that he should let uh, Absalom back. So let's break into it here in verse 20. To bring about the change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. So this is what Joab had said. So now, verse 21, the king said to Joab, All right, I've granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. We'll let him come back. Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king for doing this. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, in that, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and, and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Notice what verse 24 says. And the king said, let him return to his, his own house. Let, let Absalom come back. But do not let him see my face. I will not see his face. I will not allow him to see my face. And, and that was a major statement. That was a major statement for a son not to be able to come into the presence of his own father. It, it, was, it was a huge, a huge uh, situation, obviously, for Absalom. Uh, So here he was. He was allowed to return back and and to come back, but he could not be in the presence uh, of of King David. Let's pick it up here in verse 27. Uh, Absalom's a little ticked. uh, So what does Absalom do? He burns down the field of Joab. And I, you know, that that guy had had some... uh, some decisions that he made there that I thought, ooh, that's, that's pushing it. Joab doesn't tend to do well with, uh, with people who do things to him that he perceives as a threat, let alone burning down his field. But I know Joab understood the dynamics of, of the family uh, there. But so anyway, so Joab uh, arose, verse 31, Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? Uh, verse 32, Absalom answered Joab. He said, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, well, well, let him execute me. Verse 33, so Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And then the king kissed Absalom. So he welcomed him back. He got back into the situation where he could see the king's face, that he could be in that presence with, with the king. Of course, we know how the story goes uh, going forward. Absalom uh, was a bit duplicitous in, in some of his actions. Uh, and, of course, part of this, too, was, was because of, of what would come upon David because of David's earlier actions and the consequences that David would play for his sin. But regardless, we see uh, what it was to be in, the, uh, to, to see the face, to see the face of, of the king. Another uh, peculiar story that I've always found interesting is in Exodus 10. Exodus 10, this, this thought is discussed again. Exodus 10, of course, we've got the, the next to the last plague of, of darkness hitting the ninth plague, darkness, in, in verse 21, 
And that did not go well for all of Israel to the point, as it says in in verse 21, that the darkness uh, may even be felt, and it was, there was darkness three days. Now, let's, let's pick it up here in verse 24, uh, Exodus 10, verse 24. So Pharaoh called to Moses and said, okay, go, go serve the eternal. You, you can go, but, but only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Uh, let your little ones also go with you. Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the eternal our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. And not, not a hoof shall be left behind, he says to Pharaoh, for we must take some of them to serve the eternal our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the eternal until we arrive there. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Verse 28, then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself, Moses, and do not and see my face no more. What's he saying there? You can't come into my presence. You can't come into my favor. You will not see my face again. A a huge uh, statement that he makes here to him. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. Verse 29, Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. As, uh, as we know, as the story plays out, uh, it, it appears that he did not see his face again. He called for him by night after the death of the firstborn. Uh, but did he, did he go to him and present himself to him? He says here, you will not see my face again. Speaking again of the, of the separation that would be there. One other passage that speaks to this is in 2 Samuel 9. I always thought this was a, a beautiful story that, that speaks to this, this relationship and this seeing the, the face and being in close proximity in the presence of, of the, the king and, and for us by extension of being able to be in the presence of our, of our great God as we speak to him and as he speaks to us face to face in study and prayer and reflection. So, uh, second, second Samuel nine. Second Samuel nine. David's very close beloved friend Jonathan had died, as as we know earlier, and David became king. And he was reflecting on Saul's lineage and and down through Jonathan. And he says in verse 1, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Uh, Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Verse 4, So the king said to him, Well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's in the house of Machir, uh, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David, verse 5, sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually." You'll see my face. You can be in my presence, the presence of the king at at my meals, at my table continually. A tremendous honor. A tremendous honor for this person who is gimped up. He had fallen uh, off a horse and had gotten gotten, uh, damaged permanently for life. And and he is is saying he's going to do this for, for this person. Verse 8, then, then he bowed himself and said, what is, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? I, I think it's beautiful, the, the, not a dead dog, but, but it's beautiful, the, the humility that Mephibosheth 
the son of Jonathan showed here as, as David shows this incredible kindness of bringing him into his house, of bringing him at, to his table, bringing him into fellowship with him in this situation. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. You, therefore, Ziba, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for Mephibosheth. And, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, According to all that the Lord has commanded to his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. He'll be able to be with me face to face in my presence and eat with me. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and and all who dwelt in the, the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So he dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in his feet, and he still did it. I think it, it brings extra meaning to David's words, uh, uh, meaning to David's words as, as, as David interacts with David's Lord and King. Let's go back to Psalm 27 and look at that again. Psalm 27 We just read, what was it, 5 through 8. So let's look at verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 27. Psalm 27, uh, after we read in verse 8, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. He says in verse 9, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. You, You have... You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord, the eternal, will take care of me. He sees, he sees God for what he is, as that person that, that brings him into that relationship and brings him to that closeness and that intimacy that God desires uh, for the individual who seeks his face. Interesting also, I think, that, that it says here that uh, in, verse, in verse 10, that when my father and my mother uh, forsake me. Uh, some of us here have been in situations where they've, they've seen what it's like to be, uh, to be estranged from parents when parents have actually forsaken uh, children, that is, uh, or adult children, and, and that is incredibly painful. Some have been forsaken uh, by their parents uh, through their parents' death, and they're on their own. The individual uh, here writing this psalm, David himself, says whatever happens in that respect, uh, even if my mother and father might forsake me, the eternal will take care of me. He will take care of me. As, As David took in Mephibosheth, who lost his own father, he took him in and brought him in to be able to be with him so that they could be face to face. So how are we to seek his face? How, how do we talk with God and how does God talk with us face to face? Would you say you do that? Do you talk with God face to face in that idiomatic kind of way of, of where we're talking here about a very close, intimate interaction with God? Uh, to where we, we, we recognize through his word and through his guidance and through working through the Holy Spirit that God is interacting with us and teaching us. And, and we are talking very intimately with God about uh, the, the kinds of things that are going on in our lives and the kinds of things that, that, that he sees and how he's viewing all of, uh, all of what we see going around us. Do have we have we moved into that kind of a relationship with God? I as I've as I've said before, I think I, in the last 10, 10, 12 years, I've I've felt like I'm beginning to grasp what that means more. Uh, I I was pretty good at my prayer life. I sometimes struggled with my with my study uh, in distant years, but now I'm getting much more in in a rhythm 
on that, but not 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 just that, but it's it's that it's that moving into that very very close relationship with God in in seeking His face that like a child and, and, and an adult are right there close to one another and interacting, and they feel very comfortable in that realm. Are you in that state? Uh, do, you, are, do you see that, if you're not, do you see that as something worth really striving to do, really striving to build upon? Uh, I, personally, I, I, think it, I think it's critical. I think it's critical for us in our lives to 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 constantly be working to a toward a closer and closer more intimate connection with God and it only happens through time spent to one, with one another but but also recognizing what it is to be in his presence what it is to to experience that that discussion that that goes on through God's Holy Spirit as we interact with Him. So how how do we how do we do that? I want to talk about in the remaining time here as we uh, go the last fifteen minutes of the message. I want to talk about a a particular key to that. I, I don't know if it's the key. It is a key. It, it is a it's a major key. Uh, that must be present if we are to do so. And this is very much the, the application uh, part of the message today. Let's go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, some of you are ahead of me. We'll look at three passages right away, and I think these three passages are, are very much connected. Matthew 5, verse 8. This is critical, brethren. It's critical for you. It's critical for me. And boy, if we're not if we're not facing this head on, we're going to struggle. We're just going to struggle. And I've talked with folks that have struggled in this. Because, and it's because of this. It's, be, it's because of this. This is a killer. It's a killer of, of blocking. Uh, to, it, it kills the, the, the connection of, of what it is to see God, to, to talk face to face, to interact with him on, on the kind of level uh, that, that God intends for us. Matthew 5 verse 8, the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Conversely, <laughs> uh, cursed are the impure of heart for they shall not see God. Can we say that? I think we can say that. The, the pure in heart shall see God. Uh, so it, it makes sense that the, the people who are not pure of heart, uh, it makes sense that they will not be able to see God. Uh, so we get into that, that concept of, of duplicitousness, uh, hypocrisy, seeing our, putting on a certain look when this is really going on. Uh, going this direction or talking to this person in this manner uh, as if we really care about them or uh, as if we're, something doesn't bother us when it really does bother us. And, and, or all the different things of, of that, that, or the heart that is contaminated, that's stained, that we are not allowing God to, to wash clean so that we can, as the little child, as the little, uh, the two-year-old, some of the things that Mr. Taylor talked about a while back with, with the, the, the parent, the, uh, the one on the blessing of little children day. Just some of these, these, these things, these characteristics of, of, of a child that are childlike that, that God so deeply desires as he interacts with us. Any of that game that we play or any of the, the decisions that we make as, as human beings to say, yes, I know this is right, but I'm doing this. My heart is here. And I'll even play a little bit of a game so people don't know. Or, or, or in a sense, playing games with God about things like that. God does not deal well with that. We do not deal well with that in terms of, of, of growing closer to God and being in that kind of a, of a relationship to, to see God, to see God from the standpoint of, of, of interacting with God on, on a very close, intimate level. And ultimately, as, as we know, talking about here is seeing God uh, in all of his glory, as we will at the return of Jesus Christ when we're, when we're raised uh, from the dead. Also, let's look at 1 John 3. 1 John 3 speaks to this very familiar passage, and we'll turn to another very familiar passage uh, in just a second. But 1 John 3, let's look at it from this standpoint, though, this, this critical key to being able to, to uh, 
dwell at the table of God that he sets for us in the presence of, of, of our enemies, uh, the, the, Psalm, the Psalm 23. To, to be in that relationship with God and, and in his presence at that level, this must be in place. We must be working towards that. First John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us. It didn't know him. Beloved, we are the children of God now. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, again, that's, that's talking going forward in, in the glorified state of, of, of God. And when we are glorified uh, as spirit beings to, to s- literally see him at that level as we dwell in that spirit realm with him. But, but, but notice how he ties the next verse to that. Uh, and it, it ties very much back to, to Matthew 5. It, it ties very much back to Moses and Moses' heart as God changed and, and molded and, and fashioned Moses' heart to, as, as Moses served God. Everyone who has this hope, if that is our hope, if that is our driving hope that we deeply desire to be a part of God's family and be with him and, and serve him and, and be in the presence of, of God uh, as we perform his will into eternity. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is a, a purifying process that takes place that is, that is done on a spiritual level as, as our hearts are, are turned to hearts of flesh to where that is what we drive, we're driven to do. The other thing that I, again, that I think is interesting with that is is not only is it about the purifying of the heart, but, but it is how the, the purifying of the heart is tied towards obedience to God. You can't separate it. I heard some guy on the radio the other day trying to, trying to separate the thing about God's commandments and command, the actual commandments. And we're just talking about some of the different commands that Christ made. Just, he was all over the map trying to explain what our relationship with God is like and trying to remove the law from that. We're dead to the law. All, all these things that he was saying, and it just, it just, it was messed up. <laughs> but again, he doesn't understand because he, he's not had his mind open to that. But when we look at the next verse, the next verse that often we think of as standing alone, when we think of this is how we define the law, this is how, I mean, this is how we define sin, sin's a transgression of the law, sin is lawlessness, all of that. Let's also, and, and you may do this already, but, but let's also think about that in, in, the, in the context of what he's talking about this, he, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Christ, was manifested to take away our sin, and he's the one in, in him there is no sin. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not practice sin, as the Greek brings out. doesn't mean that, okay, I'm flesh and blood, uh, and, and I abide in him, so I will never sin. Uh, that, that doesn't make sense. It's talking about practicing sin. Here we are, we're in, we're, we are in the spirit, we're flesh and blood, but we do not Whoever abides in him, we do not practice sin. Whoever practices sin has never seen him, has neither seen him nor knows him. So sin, transgression of the law, how do we understand sin? We understand sin through, through what the law is. So people that, that are in that situation of, of practicing sin, going against God's law, do not know him. They, they, they can't see him uh, as we can see him. So, uh, and again, that ties back to this, this purity of heart. Look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51, of course, that's David's repentant prayer to God as, as he comes to, to grips with his, his sin with Bathsheba and the aftermath of, of what he did to uh, murder, uh, cause Uriah to be killed. David committed murder. In that and in that fully coming before him, he says in Psalm 51, Psalm 51, we know the passage, but Psalm 51 states in verse 10, in verse 10, create in me, God, God, create in me a clean heart, cleanse my heart, change my heart. Uh, 
free of, of hypocrisy, free of duplicitousness, free of, of craftiness in trying to, to work things out in such a way that, that I do it this way, but nobody sees this. Create in me a clean heart, God, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Notice what he says right next. Because to, to have a, uh, blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. Here it is again. Do not cast away, cast me away from your presence. He knows that if his heart is not cleaned, if it is not cleansed by God, he is not in the position where he can be in God's presence. Don't cast me away from your presence, God. Don't, don't turn your back on me like Pharaoh did to Moses and say, you know, you're not going to see me again unless, unless you die for it. Don't, don't do that, God. I'm reaching back out to you. I'm, I, I'm doing my part to clean my heart. You clean my heart uh, through, through your spirit and through the sacrifice of Christ. Don't cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Let's go to Job 42. Job 42. I, I think of this passage in, in what... Job went through what he endured and what Elihu told him and then later what God, which would have been Jesus Christ talking with him, was helping Job see where Job was off on, on his mindset and his approach towards God as, as his trial uh, continued. And then Job, as the familiar passage renders here in verse 1 of chapter 42, Job answers the eternal and says, verse 2 of 42, I know that you can do everything, God. I know that you can do everything now and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, you asked me as as God did in in earlier verses, who is this? Who is this who hides counsel uh, without knowledge? Therefore, he says, I have uttered Things that I did not understand. I spoke out of ignorance. And I was uttering these things. I was pontificating about things that I didn't even get and understand. Things way, you know, way too wonderful for me. Things that I did not know. And then Job pleads with God, listen, please, and let, let, let me speak. Let, let, let's, let's talk. Or let, let me explain myself. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. He says, okay, I have heard of you by the hearing of the year. I recognize that in my life, and I, as he lived, he, he grasped certain concepts. But he says, now, he says, now my eye sees you. Literally, idiom, idiomatically. He, he grasps the significance of, of who and what God is and what God is doing. And his, his place in, in the realm of, of where God dwells and he got it. And he said, now I see you. I get it. I get it. And, and he says, therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> in a sense, he's saying, I am a, he's prostrating himself before God and saying, I'm a dead dog before you. I, I get it now. I see who you are. And, and I thank you that I, in a sense, that I can even have this conversation with you, that you're working with me through this. So it was in verse 7 that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Job got his heart right. God, and he did that in humility. God humbled him, and he also humbled himself. And, and in humility, he repented in and opened his heart to God to say, this is who I am and this is what I've done. As I really now see you, I see me better. And as a result, I humbly repent before you in, in dust and ashes. And, and God says, you spoke what was right. And he says to them, therefore, take yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job, offer up your, for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job's the one who's going to pray for you. For I will accept him. I don't know how many of you have a margin there in your Bible, but I think it's interesting. It says literally, his face. God says, I will accept his face. Seek my face. He says, I will accept Job's face, lest I deal with you, the three, uh, 
according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. I will accept his face. Notice what it says here in verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. The margin there renders accepted as he had accepted his face. He had accepted his face before him. We think of various passages as we go to two final passages. Let's go to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Psalm 15 talks about uh, not only what we've already talked about. Well, it doesn't talk about that. But we talked about a clean heart, a pure heart. Uh, Psalm 15, 1 and 2 talks about truth, a person who has truth in his heart, not a lie. Truth. Psalm 16, verse 7. Psalm 16, verse 7. I will bless the Eternal who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night season. Seasons. I have set the eternal always before me. Everything that I do, I set him before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul. You will not leave me in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, that he was raised after three days and three nights. He was not uh, left to corruption. And, and even us, as we think of verse, uh, verse, verse 10, uh, we will not be left in the grave forever. We will, we will be brought back up. Verse 11, you will show me the path of life. And in your presence, in, in dwelling in, in that realm at your table, in, in that interaction with him, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. My heart instructs me. I've set the Lord before me. So in, 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 all the, in, in his presence, he's at my right hand. There's this very close, intimate situation. Uh, this is why I will not be moved because of his proximity. He's there uh, and his presence is with me. In his presence is fullness of joy. I'm right here with you, God, and you're right here with me. You show me the path of life. Let's go to Psalm 17 finally. Psalm 17. Psalm 17, verse 1, we read this at, at Mr. Hungerlut's memorial service. He says here, a prayer of David, hear, o just, hear a just cause, O eternal. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is, which is not from deceitful lips. The heart is right. The heart is clean before God. Let my in, vindication come from your presence. You vindicate me from, from everything. It, let, let it come from you being present with me as I am present with you. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. Do we want God to test our heart? Do we want him to, to analyze our heart in, in, in the coming months as we move towards the spring Holy Day season, the festival beginning again? I, I ask all of us, as I ask myself, to, to, to ask God to to test our hearts, to reveal our hearts, to, to purify our hearts. And that's something we've got to, we've got to get after in, in, in this age in which we live. We've got, to, we've got to want God to test our heart, to visit us in the night. And, and hopefully God tries us and has found nothing. Sometimes he finds something. And then what do we do? Are we like the, the, the people out there that are, boy, it's like I, I've got it going on or I, I'm, all, I'm all right because at least I can acknowledge where I'm wrong. You know, I, I tell people, you know, I do this all the time. I shouldn't do it. But, and then they go on and do it uh, as if that's somehow better than not knowing. Uh, it, it's actually worse, isn't it? Uh, one, one thing to sin in ignorance. It's another thing to, to know that we do this kind of a thing. And then because we acknowledge it, that's somehow okay for us to go ahead and do it. Uh, he says here uh, that in this case, he's, he, he found, he said, you found nothing. You found nothing evil. When we ask God to test, 
test our hearts. And if, he, if we find something evil, if he finds something evil and reveals that to us, we must act on it. Uh, so he says here in, in, in verse 3, I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress concerning the works of him by the word of your lips. I've kept away from the paths of the destroyer. So uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. I've called upon you, God, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. This this dialogue, this this connection that's going between two two individuals, God and and God's servant. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me, God, as the apple of your eye. That we want God's focus on us, that he's looking on us and seeing us as the, as the apple of his eye. That he can hide us under the shadow of, of his wings from the wicked who oppress us and from all the challenges that we face. I want to just quote this statement before we read our last verse. When we read Psalm 27 earlier, I thought it was interesting that the statement was made in verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. My heart said to you. It's, again, this, this connection of the heart that is right, the heart that is cleaned, the, the heart that is pure, the heart that is rooted in truth. Uh, it's not like it's a separate, you know, I'm over here and here's my mind and here's my heart. But it, it's this, this connection of this, this is who I am and my, my heart speaks to you, God. Uh, I will seek your face. So are we seeking his face? Are we seeking to be in his presence? Are we seeking to be in, in his tabernacle, at his table, when we awaken, when we go to sleep at night, when we are going through one of the worst trials we've ever faced, and in, in incredible grief that we're experiencing, overwhelming sorrow? Are we seeking to be in his presence in times of great joy? When we're with others, when we're all alone with our creator, are we seeking to be in his presence? If so, we must purify our hearts. Truth obedience, being clean, lawfulness, not in lawlessness. No, actually the law is written in our hearts. And we seek him with all our hearts. Our hearts say to God, your face, Lord, I will seek. When that is in place, we finish with Psalm 17, verse 15. All of us, as we reflect on our lives, young or old, this is what we seek. Verse 15, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied when I awake in your likeness.